You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Well, see, sometimes you look at the real world and you think it just needs a little zhuzh. I'm Rowena Miller. <laughs> I'm Cass Morris. I'm Marshall Ryan Maresca, and this is episode 101, all about the zhuzh. All zhuzh, no what? What? You know him all about the zhuzh, about the zhuzh, no something. It's a Megan Trainor song. <laughs> like all about the bass. What would be the opposite? What would be the opposite oh, of the zhuzh? The inverse of the zhuzh. I mean, tech, we've, we're setting this, I like that it would be the gate. All about the zhuzh, not the gate, would be the, the truth. It would be the mundanity, but that does not have no. cadence or... It doesn't scan. There's not syllables in there. It is too <laughs> mundane know, a word. I need, to be. I need a trochee. I need a trochee. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. How are we doing, friends? What have we been doing? What have we been doing? What are we going to be doing? I can tell you I have a thing. I have. You have a thing. I have a thing. So several people say to me, especially about the various Meridian books, like, are any more going to come out in audiobook? And the answer is yes. Woo! So by the time y'all are hearing this, um, Holver Alley Crew, it will have already been, it actually is already out now um, in when we're recording this. And then Lady Henderman's Wardrobe will probably be out around then. And then also the rest of the Streets of Meridane subseries. So that's also the Fenmere job and the Quarry Gate Gambit. So the Quarry Gate Gambit will be available now in ebook and audiobook, but not real book. And those are real books. Real book. not, 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 not books. Not book you can hold E-books in your and audiobooks are real books. <laughs> you cannot not smell a, it, an audiobook. It, it, it remains intangible. It That's remains true. intangible. But nonetheless, those are all coming out. So please, if you've been holding out for audiobooks, now is your moment. And so hopefully those will... Checking to see if my, li- if my library has you yet. And if it doesn't, I'm going to make them. Make yes. Yell at your local no. library... To just and lo- yell at your local bookstore just to carry all the Meridian books because that will remind them that they exist and that somebody wants mm-hmm. them. And you want them, dear <laughs> listeners, don't you? Yes, you do. Because you want to do. know all about all the wild things we do in our world building. How about you two, my friends? Do you have any, uh, you have any news? I know Rowena's fairy bargains have been making all the lists. Yeah. One, one little thing, since this will still be out in April, is that um, it is a Barnes & Noble pick of the month, which I only bring up because oh. you get a discount. You get, like, it's like a buy one, get one 50% off on their picks of the month. So, getting, Sexy. Well, go buy, like, buy two copies 10 copies and... BOGO. Yeah. There. So, anyway. No, that's probably why... In my local Barnes & Noble, I found it, like, on a special yeah. display like table. They, they that... put it on, and there's, like, a special little sign and everything. I'm going to have to steal it from my local yeah. Barnes & Noble. I, I had nothing to do people. with outfacing yeah. or, or sneaking away <laughs> to get more people to notice y'all's books. Um, <laughs> I didn't even have to this time. They did it all by themselves. All by themselves with the power of marketing money. Yay! Marketing. It's amazing when it's actually done. That's exciting. <laughs> when, it, when it happens, it's a beautiful thing. It's what we dream of. Well, I'm so happy, yeah. Rowena, that thank you've been you. getting such good buzz because that book Aww, totally deserves it. I loved it. Feels like a good. It's a good book for this season too. It's a growing book. It is. It's very. It's a very good springy yeah. book. I'm. I'm glad that it landed as a spring. It's about growth. Spring release. And oh, it's also it's out in the UK now. Ooh, yay! I should mention Ooh. Um, because it the UK had like two weeks later release date. So. Well, I think the last thing we probably should remind people if this is coming out at the very end of April, is that you still have a few days to nominate us for a Hugo Award. In theory, if it's closing April 30th. Empowered. Yes, if you are thus yes. empowered. Yes. Um, that, that, that is what they are saying. But this, this It could change. Of, Who knows? It's, this, <laughs> it's been unusual. This round of Hugoing has been, it's been a bit it's of a been, roller coaster, friends. It's and, been a bit and, bumpy. And, and, so we'll see what happens. 
I'm oddly intrigued by how this one is going to go. It's, it's because... going to be interesting to see. Like, I mean, if the entire slate yes. is Chinese stories, then great. Good for them. That's awesome. Like, Awesome. Right. Yes. 100%. Do, do the thing. <laughs> but I had fun filling uh, out my, my nomination form because so many, so many good people and friends of the podcast had things come out last year. And yeah. That was exciting. I love getting to put down books that are by people I know. I have a methodology where I'll put some things and then I'll like go back and look at the list. Like I'll keep tweaking my nomination slate until until day of, pretty much. Until zero cause, hour. <laughs> just cause it's like, what else can I do? Is everything <laughs> there? Did I make yeah. sure to nominate the things I really want to get <laughs> get nominated? Is there is there a category I shouldn't ignore? And then I have the problem too of like like I lose all sense of time. And I'm like, did that come out last year? Did I read that? <laughs> when did what? What is time? And then I end up reading some stuff. Early exactly like arcs, arcs. Exactly. And then it's like early. And then I'm like, no idea. When did that actually come Not out? Not a clue. I, time. Time is time is a construct, and I don't understand it. Apparently, there is. I think it's. I want to say it's the Lady Business podcast. I could be incorrect, but some other you know well-regarded science fictional fantasy podcast one of our cousins out there regularly put out a, like a google spreadsheet that like has all of the eligible stuff and that is an incredibly handy resource to be like it is what actually came out this year <laughs> right i i have i have relied upon that often to be like yes remind me when when was that what was that so yes listeners if you are thus empowered we would love your consideration for best fan cast for a third year in the row. That would be exciting. One could say it would even be magical. <laughs> One could say that. Oh, that was a ham-fisted segue, my friend. <laughs> that was. <laughs> it was not subtle. It, it's it was not, it well, and not the subtlety and, and, of a sledgehammer, which is and and we, well, we, and we are thinking about you know like looking back into the past and in fact if this episode is not the consequences of our own actions yeah it sure is past us past us kicking the can down the road to future us and suddenly future us is us is present to us <laughs> and we have to we have to make some some choices and clarify some stuff and we have to talk about the judge indeed we do which okay. I, I i truly love that this is this is what we've called it now. And, you know. Yes. So if you're joining us for the first time, we're sorry. <laughs> um, and the zhuzh is our term, um, our kind of in-house term for the, the magical element of our world, which varies from place to place within the world so that magic actually works differently and is understood and accessed and stuff differently in different parts of the world so we didn't have an overall term for it and we landed on the zhuzh which we have decided the canon spelling from here on out i believe we've decided is z-h-u-z-h yes i yes. think that was our that was our compromise okay. <laughs> yeah, that was that what would... we what we settled upon Plus it's easy to remember <laughs> nothing about this makes perfect sense but <laughs> I disagree. I medically that makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> but if if we're actually talking about in world stuff, I am sure that that um, perhaps I'm not sure, but I I would guess that one question that we would answer is, do they call it the zhuzh, or does each little corner of the world have their own term for magic or terms multiple for magic, depending? Well, and I wonder how much of that depends on how they conceptualize it as a force, and is it like. Is it yeah. mutually agreed upon across the world where it comes from and what exactly it is? Or do different areas perceive it as, as arising from different phenomena? And I would say I like the latter better because it's more interesting and more fun. And we're at a point in our world's development that like, even though there's a lot of sharing, they might not have gotten to a point of all agreeing on, on things if they ever were to get to a point of all agreeing on how stuff worked. Mm -hmm. Which always raises an interesting question in terms of like fantasy world building is how much is magic viewed as something separate from or utterly part of the natural world? Like, is it, no, that's just how things are. Or is it like, no, magic is, is some weird stuff that you've got to 
go and like live in a volcano and, and breathe uh, <laughs> for 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 five years. He would and not have a lot of mages. And... That's, a, that's a terrible terrible lifestyle choice. <laughs> Hashtag lava aesthetic. No, thank you. And I think we are we are kind of fortunate in our choices thus far. I think that. We've said that it works differently in different places, probably is understood differently in different places, mm-hmm. which means that I think it, it probably would be recognized as something more than natural insofar as much as it's, it's we can do this thing, but those people over there can't do this thing. And it's, why, why can't you move stuff with your mind? Well, I don't know, but you can't. Levitate fish, so I can't tell you. You know, I mean, it's just that there's different, you know. (laughs) But then that also creates this sort of fascinating thing of, like, if magic in different areas is just considered almost innate and it is different in every area, like, is it, like, the guys who are like, like, what do you mean you can't levitate fish? For them, it's like saying, like, what do you mean you don't breathe? Like, you know, but, it is so, like, normalized. Like, can then how do you get them out of the water? I, I don't yeah. get it. Sorry, you use a what? You use a stick? How, how do you get your... Net? How, a net? <laughs> what? Doesn't that get icky? Well, and we haven't... We also have not dug in completely in terms of, of how how magic is accessed because that's another way mm-hmm. in which it separates something from just purely part of the natural world to something that at least requires some intention. It doesn't just happen. You have to intentionally go about doing it. So there's there's the mechanical supernatural where we mechanically apply things to change the natural world. And then there's mm-hmm. the, the magical supernatural where we magically apply things to change the natural world. And to what degree do these people see that as different things to what degree do they have to intentionally go about using magic we haven't thoroughly played with that though we have established that the zhuzh has varying potencies Mm -hmm. so one would figure that varying potencies would mean varying difficulty of access yeah or varying strengths of results I, i definitely think it affects like the scale of the magic probably in some ways that like Bigger, flashier stuff is easier where there's more zhuzh. But I always, I always like magic as a craft, as something that that you have to work at. That there are rituals around, or or tangible processes, yeah, like or, yeah. something you do, something you do to invoke it. And maybe that process takes a lot longer in the areas that are low zhuzh. Um, Maybe not impossible, but harder. Take takes takes longer to work. Takes more, you know, magic stones on your altar to to attract the right zhuzh particles or whatever it is. I mean, to be clear to the listeners who are probably deeply confused, by what you're saying. <laughs> this will not go on our starter our sampler pack um, <laughs> for starting episodes. What we are calling the zhuzh is the the energy that empowers magic, essentially, and. So it is not magic in and of itself. So, and the other idea we had was in places where the magical nude gates are, like the gates themselves seem to soak up a lot of the zhuzh. And so those areas tend to be low zhuzh places. And then places that are more off the beaten track tend to be high. And there might even be places that are like incredibly high or chaotically wild in, in their, in their zhuzhiness and, and, who knows what that can, how that can manifest, and can it manifest in rather than like, oh, you need more stones here because to to be able to draw enough judge to do that kind of spell. Is it there? It's like, whoops, you accidentally moved your finger the wrong way and you st- set something on fire. Like being um, around the unseen university in Discworld. Um, yeah, that there's just like there's just too much magic there, and just wild things happen all the time. Right. That's why a lot of people are just like, let's tear clear of that of that mountain. You might go up it and come back a chicken. <laughs> people have done it. Since, since we are considering the uh, experience of our listeners, it might behoove us to talk a little bit of writing craft up front before diving into the how we're actually going to solve these problems, which is like when you are 
creating your magical system, whether it's for storytelling purposes or game playing purposes or just messing around in a fantasy world. Like, but there's a difference between what you as the creator know and then what is conveyed to others. And then there's a third layer of what do your characters, what do the in-world people Mm. even know? So that you have kind of like three different levels of knowledge and how much does each of those parties real or imagined need need to know there's also the factor of within the in-world knowledge what does like everyone know like the general person on the street know versus what do the people who actually know what they're doing know and then right that can be that can be a huge difference in terms of you know some people was like, yes. yeah, magic is just this yeah. thing. It's you just snap thing. your fingers and turn, per- turn somebody into a chicken. I don't know, <laughs> man. Like, I don't do it. Like, no. Do you, do, you, do you know the kind of work you have to do to turn a person into a chicken? It's, <laughs> it's the whole <laughs> process. You have to know what a chicken is and, that, like, its entire physiology. <laughs> you can't just decide you just chicken. Do that. Yeah. But, yeah, and some of your characters might care more than others some of your characters might have mm-hmm. access to more information you know some might know that magic exists and that's fine but not know how to do it they, they haven't been trained in the mechanics of it in the same way that i know calculus exists you could not ask me to do it i would just stare at you <laughs> and, blankly like and, and i think calculus is an excellent example because there's also a variation of how much do people care like, I'm living my life perfectly happy, calculus-free. I yep. don't need... Yep. Are you saying neither of you have calculated the differential and equation? Yes, I have, and I have chosen to forget no. those dark years of my life. No. As part of your adult life? Those did not sound like real words you just said. That sounded like technobabble. I don't believe that that's how math... Func- I, no, I... And magic can work that way, too. But, like, in the yeah. same way that my life is, I am sure, affected by calculus happening, like, they must use it for, like, planes. Lies. All lies. Stuff. Satellites. I don't know. Like, just, somebody out a, there. It's just to torture high school students. That's the only reason it exists. Okay. Higher math in general. Like, <laughs> my life is affected by it in that I get on airplanes and use computers and stuff. Even if I don't know how to do it. So is there also a section of society no, that see, Those all actually work on magic. That's why... It, Could be. That's I the, would that's believe the that. big secret. Yeah. Planes and computers and phones. That. It's all magic. That's why you have to put your phone in airplane mode. Because they don't really know how the plane stays up. <laughs> okay, yeah. Valid. But, but Valid. One, one time, as a plane was taking off, my physicist husband chose to tell me, you know, actually, we don't entirely understand how this works. That's a bad time to reveal <laughs> Thank that. You for letting me know that <laughs> physicists time. don't really know how this entirely works. There are unanswered questions about the plane staying aloft. Neat. I mean, to an extent, that is, regardless of how soft or hard your magic system is going to be, to an extent, that is kind of the way magic needs to work in when you're in terms of your writing craft like even even in your most sandersonian like this metal does this and this metal does that like but why does this metal do this shh shh well and it's interesting to me too that we have these assignments of like hard versus soft magic but that's really in my view more about the reader's experience than it is about necessarily the process of creating those systems because you could write a soft magic system and know how every fucking thing works Mm -hmm. your characters might not your readers definitely don't but you do and so i think that it's it's an interesting division that i think is really based a lot more in, in experience on the back end than it is in terms of you know what work are you actually putting into it Mm mm-hmm which, you know, kind of raises all those questions of, like, how much do you have to know to write a functional or to create as we're doing a functional magical system? How much hand-waving not only are you comfortable with, but is going to fly, right? I like to try to find, like, the line where there are enough rules and guidelines that, that it doesn't feel cheap, it doesn't feel too easy, But without getting myself in a position where the reader is going to be counting the bullets, as it were, 
you know? Like, mm-hmm. when you watch a movie and you're like, that revolver only had six shots, and, and he shot, like, 17. What the heck? <laughs> I don't want to be in the position of a reader doing that with the magic. Like, I don't want them counting spell slots in the middle of a magical action sequence. Now, if you're designing a game, that might be a completely different... You might absolutely want them to be keeping track of, of spell slots and things like that. So it could go to your purpose again when you're thinking about, like, how am I designing this? And hard and soft, I think, or I don't know, they're not terms that I consciously think about when I'm designing a system. But I am thinking about that. I'm thinking about, like, I want it to make enough sense that it is seamless in the narrative, but that the reader's brain doesn't get caught on those nitty-gritty details and and trying to do that kind of calculation while I want them in an emotional moment with the characters, you know? Right. And I wonder how much of, like, what we see, what we consider to be a hard magic system, comes from so many of current fantasy writers, like, grew up playing RPGs where you had to gamify and have a system and have it be based on, like, rules so that there is game balance. And your book doesn't have to necessarily have game balance but at the same time you do want reasons why it's like i could literally solve this all by snapping my fingers and turning everyone to chickens but (laughs) but but you can't do that unless you know the chicken physiology (laughs) what breed of chicken marshall yeah what kind of chicken Um, what kind of chicken i have suggestions (laughs) i was gonna say like my brain went blank in terms of what breeds of chickens exist. I mean, it's you know. Rowena, your your ne- your next book needs chicken magic. Is, I do. I that's do. your next one. That's more your... chickens. More chickens. More chickens. <laughs> but yeah, I think regard you you want it to be, and it also depends on how you want the magic to work. Like, is it just mm-hmm. like that the chosen few are able to tap into it for whatever reason? Do they need wands? Do they need to carve things into their head or something? Or do they need special tattoos? Or do they like do they need to make some sort of like physical or emotional sacrifice to be able to yeah. tap into it? Yeah. Do they need do they need to appease <gasps> to some sort of higher power? That was so cool in Kate Hartfield's book, in the embroidered book. Oh yeah. That was a neat example of a system that is absolutely a hard magic system within the world. Like, each spell had a very, very set out list of sacrifices that, that the, the magicians have to make. Um, and it's it's part physical, but part esoteric. You know, part of it is like something from the body. Some Part of it is some memory or something you care about, and it's emotional. So the system itself is absolutely hard. But Kate didn't burden the reader with every piece of it every single time. Like, you didn't need to know as you were reading for every single spell what all five of the, the ingredients were, especially as it went on. And, and she did more of that in the beginning to get you used to the system, since we're talking about craft. And then as the book went along, the only bits she focused on were the bits that were key to the characters and what they were actually sacrificing. Like, the things that weren't important to them, the reader didn't need to know about either. But that memory they were giving up that was really important, and so she made sure we focused on that as we're going through the narrative. So we have a lot of range, I think, in terms of what we what we absolutely positively must know versus how we can be functional. But knowing us, we probably want to answer a lot of those questions. For ourselves, even if, if we were writing an in-world story or doing whatever, a lot of it might end up, as we might say, under the waterline of the iceberg. So I, I think one of our big questions is, how does the zhuzh work? Where did it come from? Where did it come from? That's, I mean... Y'all talked about it a long time ago. Well, no, we, I, was I don't think we ever really talked about it in terms of, like, where did it come from? Because it's just sort of like, it was just sort of this, like, yada yada, like, it's a fantasy world. Of course, there's magic, so mm-hmm. therefore magic. We made a very early choice that there will be magic, and we made a very early choice that it would be different in all parts of the world. And I I believe that maybe Marshall had radon testing on the mind, but suggested that just like soil composition and radioactivity can be different in different places, that if you're tied to, if magic is tied to place, then there's something akin to that with the magic. And we also had a sort of like something, something destroyed moon thing something something aurora borealis something something magic yes there yes. was there was something about like the interaction of the planet with its destroyed moon that like satellite unknown satellite thing uh, yeah like there yeah. was some interaction between the two bodies that 
or I guess the the one body and then the many bits of planetary body. So that caused the the the, the differences. I, I would su- I would suggest, a... and this in many ways, this kicks the can of the exact origin of magic in our world down the road. <laughs> but which I think is if, okay because like if you had almost a... nobody. Ever no, actually back to yeah, unless it comes from the gods, I mean, but you don't like, have like a again, cosmology like, that includes it. Yeah, right. So it's always my cheat. Back to like <laughs> when, it, when so, in doubt, have it come from the gods. So if you if you have a a natural satellite, aka a moon orbiting a planet, and it collides with something, chunks of it are going to fall into the planet, right? And large mm-hmm. chunks will burn off, but smaller chunks are going to settle onto the planet's surface in some way and i could look up the actual astronomy on that but i'm I'm not i'm not i'm not going to do that but i if we wanted to have an interaction and to have differences in the spaces to some degree like this scatter pattern of an ancient collision with this moon that is now a shrunken destroyed partial moon could do that sure I've thought about this way too much. Well, the other thing I was, you know, <laughs> since we have the gates and we're saying that the gates sort of like suck up the zhuzh in their area is that this is something of the natural manifestation of this energy. It might just, you know, pull up and form gates that, you know, connect, that connect places. And that's just a thing that it might naturally fall into in places. And- one thing I considered too is that if you have, if there is something material about the zhuzh in some way or another, that there's either an energy or a physical material that like to like would kind of explain the gate. Mm. So if you have mm-hmm. like zhuzh compound A over here in fallen year and zhuzh compound B over, or you know, compound A also found over here, that that, that would connect yeah. into a magical nude gate. And that makes sense for like some of the places that do have more than one the hubs, if they're on more than one system, yeah. they've got more than one compound in or, their soil. Or, or energy reading yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Because in a way you do you do have that whole sciencey thing where yeah, like different different materials actually do give up different kinds of energy. So Right. Again, things I don't understand nearly well enough and would have to do a lot of research to thoroughly. And you know, magic can be similar to radioactivity, but like in a different vibration i don't know like you know it can be that yeah so because i think we said the radioactivity thing less as a literal and more as like it, yeah it's it's a it's a it's a way of understanding it's a metaphor it's how we can understand right. metaphor for why yeah. it's different in different places why you're gonna get different readings because it's similar to you know your basement has radon mine doesn't yeah. but it sounds like it we also do want it to be the energy emanating from like whatever these compounds are not derived from the compound itself like we're not mining for right, right. This, yeah. stuff. this is not a metallurgical kind of yeah. magic. We're not we're not going to run out. Although, right. we do talk about the gates sometimes m- like moving or shutting down, a new one spawning. So what happens there? Did the compound like the half life wear off? Or I, like, I was going to say, so, yeah, to, was there a? It could have a radioactive half life. You could also any like tectonic activity could shift. Oh, exactly yeah, where it say, is and screw with stuff. Maybe even like major flooding things like that could perhaps redistribute the zhuzh compounds. I don't know about you, yeah. but I am I am comfortable with this level of understanding of the I am comfortable Me with too. too. Yeah. magical geology of our world. And I like that too because our world is starting to be a lot more scientific. You know, we're we're sort of on that cusp and they're figuring things out. But they're not all the way to like explaining everything away with science yet. So, I don't know, this could be something that somebody's like on the cutting edge of, of our world's universities or something, somebody's researching this and maybe some people think they're crazy. Like moon dust. That's uh-huh. just silly. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's, <laughs> who would ever think that? So yeah, it gives the world fun places to go with, with learning more about its own magic. Right. And you can imagine the, the first, the first space exploration of our world and they bring back like concentrated they bring back a moon rock and, and it like and then like the entire lab turns into chickens i don't know but <laughs> <laughs> they go to the moon and no, the spaceship just, turns they into just a land chicken. right by the time yeah this <laughs> and suddenly they're stuck through a magical nude gate and they pop out just like some random part of the world yeah 
<laughs> like, that was weird. <laughs> but I like that because then instead of like technology taking the magic away technology mm-hmm. introduces whole more complexities to the magic <laughs> and more magic so one thing we talked about was the idea that with you know the the rest of the magic like anybody in theory can learn and there's no like yeah there's no chosen know, you one have to, bs there's no chosen or anything like so here's my big idea of how things work magic wise i'm thinking that to access magic involves some form of channeling, like capturing and channeling that judge through something and then shaping it however you need it to be to do the thing you want to do. And so in my mind, that requires some form of physicality. So so you are enacting something physically to make this happen in some way, right. shape, or form. And so... What I like about this is this can keep the idea that magic works differently all over the world because how they are then doing said manifestation can be done all sorts of different ways based on like how they figured out things work. So you can have things like runic magic because the way you shape the runes in whatever you thing, that's the thing that shapes the zhuzh as it goes through it. Or you can have some people have wands because they're like, I, you know, this kind of wood and I, you know, line it with this kind of stone and voila, it works. Or any other like, like, this is the thing we did and it worked. Yeah. And you could have like things like liturgical dance or yeah. weaving or... I-, I was thinking like, I just watched music, a yeah, about like the eel baskets, well, like fish trap eel mm-hmm. baskets, like... To me, I think it, in a world where you have to capture the zhuzh in some way, I think you'd see lots of, like, magic traps. Like, a people that, that con- the way they conceptualize it. Like, even if you don't actually have to physically trap the magic, the way people conceive of things, they would be like, ah, yes, I must build a magic trap. I must build a magic snare. I must build a magic mouse trap. <laughs> like, I feel like a lot of the foci might look like that, might look like nets, might look like baskets, might look like things you yeah. keep stuff things you keep stuff in, you know? Or like the people there was when we talked about the thirteen families, we talked about the idea that they have like tattoos that are like laden with whatever salts or whatever that mm-hmm. also capture the magic. And so and those tattoos need to be shaped in a certain way. And I think one of our listeners, it might have been, it might have been Noam the Barbarian who put the idea of like circuit board tattoos that have that same sort of like, because I'm put it in this shape, I can then do whatever. And I, I like that idea, but also I love the idea that what you use to shape and how you choose to to show that can be radically different from place to place. And so there is no one true way to learn how to do magic. Yes. And I love, too, that that makes it very cultural. So different cultures yes. are both shaped by how they understand magic and then other elements of their culture are shaping how they then enact and understand magic. So that's that's fun and cool. And that can be shaped with physical with stuff. So it can be like wands. It can be runes. It can be shaped with your body in and of itself. So it can be tattoos. It can be hand gestures. It can be shaped with sound. So it can be the right words. See, I was about to ask that. If we're thinking that it has to be physically shaped, does spoken language count or does it have to be written down? Because spoken language is, it's inherently ephemeral. But it's still being produced physically in a way. I mean, you still have to... It is, you know, air being pushed through. There's vibrations... I think it would give you very different kinds of magic than you would get from like carving something into stone. And those could be interesting cultural differences. I think Mm -hmm. that the magic formed by like voice or like you said, Ramana, by dance, something that is of the moment, something that is impermanent. Yeah. Would give you a more more impermanent magic. What would be interesting is that then those cultures understanding of magic would be something very like temporal and ephemeral. Yeah. You're you're affecting something in the moment. You are affecting the outcomes of things. You're, you know, just inserting the magic into one moment in time and then that that might have results later instead of creating a magical object or Mm -hmm. something that permanently is going to work a particular way because it is imbued with magic. Unlike, yeah, if you were using magical pigments to paint something, mm-hmm. 
then it's until the pigment wears off, it has that magic, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That gives us so much to play with. Yeah. Like it's, it's both different types of magic, but also different ways of, of cultures understanding what magic is. Yeah. That's neat. Now, a big question this brings up for me, and this will differ. The answer to this will be different for, for all of our cultures, I think, is how easy is it to learn a magic that is not your natural home's magic? And how much of that is inherent? Like, the culture I'm in has shaped the way I think and this way I think of magic, therefore I might not be able to do somebody else's magic. But then also we can talk about open and closed systems, about cultures that don't teach other people how to do their kind of magic. And I think before we even hit that, how easy is it to even learn the magic of your own area? Yeah. I mean... And is... I mean, I think probably easier in high zhuzh areas. And that's probably going to vary from place to place. And then also yeah. then going to affect how easy it is for you to go somewhere else and learn things, depending on... I mean, my, my instinct is that depending on the kind of magic, it's easier or harder, depending on, you know... Like, if, if a culture believes you have to shape the runes in a particularly correct way and combine them in a particular manner in order for the magic to work, that's a lot of learning of just, like, physically how do you do this and how do you memorize what all this stuff means before you Picturing even get right. to it. Right, where magic mahjong tiles like exactly right. Certain like, sequences have certain effects, and and, and that's so just a lot of memorization. Memorize yeah. all that. It's like like learning bridge. Like I, that's just <laughs> oh my god, no. So like, but there's like a whole lot of learning that could be you know go into that way. Whereas if it's just literally like, well, you you fold your paper box just so, and then you put it out, and it catches the magic, and then you have the magic, and you like put the box somewhere and then it's that's where the magic is like that's a different level of learning in terms of how do you like learn the actual skill involved and then how does the actual like channeling of the magic itself like does it just come naturally once you learn the skill or is there another element of having to like concentrate or adapt yourself somehow to be able to access the magic or does it just come with the skill you learn the skill I think it's it. you come with a skill and like to an extent that's part of the muscle memory of that. But learning the skill can be like for some cultures it might be a thing of like, well, we can't teach you our magic because to teach you it, you had to have been born here and been getting the tattoos since you were a child. Yeah. Like if learning. If, if, you're, if your magic system involves body modification, you can't just learn yeah. it. And if it involves language, you would have to become fluent enough in the language to be able to learn it. And is it, like, in terms of the things that are done just with voice or sound, like, is it a matter of, like, is it a language or does it just seem like a language, even though it's just, like, we learned that these syllables and this combination do this thing? And, yeah, why? We don't know. But, like, but it doesn't have that same sense of, like, syntax which may make it easier or harder to learn that you just have to sort of memorize various syllables or or musical notes or you know or both is it like well we can teach you but you have terrible pitch so you're gonna be bad (laughs) (laughs) well and there is that too i mean there are some things that are skill based but some people are better at them than others yeah you know is that And sometimes you can learn Mm -hmm. with a lot of time and practice and sometimes you just can't, like... I mean, is that a limiting factor that we want to say some areas of our world, you know, if you have a music-based magical system and you have, you are completely tone deaf, you have no pitch whatsoever. You're going to have a hard life if you want to be a mage. Yeah. Like, you can make that choice, honey, but <laughs> is it the best choice for your future? Like, right. is, is that what we want for or, you? <laughs> or you have people getting inventive with it and saying, well, okay, it turns out that you can actually do this with... A musical instrument that I can mm. actually I can learn to play. My voice is terrible, but I've learned to but play. But I can hit that C I, on a yeah, flute. I yeah. can I can do it on the recorder, man. I'm so glad or they taught us this that in fourth grade. these different <laughs> ideas that you have a recorder that has finely etched runes on it. I could see some fun ideas where you play with the different ways that, in combination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I bet that's something that happens a lot. With, with our travelers, with, with, with people oh, who yeah. go through the gates a lot, like mm-hmm. combining one area's magic with another area's magic. Like, okay, what happens if I add, what happens if I add runes to this magic eel 
catching device. Like, what if I do both at the same time? What happens? Do I get more magic? Do I get better magic? Do I get a completely different kind of magic? Do the fish come out of the water? Like, do they levitate faster? Or do they all just sink to the bottom of the ocean? Oops, that was wrong. That clearly <laughs> did something. That did something. It was not what I wanted it to do. If I use the, the voice magic, but I also take the tattoo magic and put tattoos all around my throat and therefore oh that could go so badly that. i love it <laughs> i love the idea that you could encounter a mage of some sort who's just like hacked together this wild thing that works for them and doesn't doesn't make any sense whatsoever or like they figured out like one weird trick like like they're the ones who figured out how to turn somebody into a chicken. This is this is where we're going. This, this episode. Like they've got like a they've got a magical jalopy. Like they're the only ones who can make yeah. it run. Nobody else can make it run. But so basically, the short story coming out of this episode is Roderick the Chicken Mage. Like, <laughs> oh, I hope so. Please. Oh, that'd be great. Over Please. on the Reddit fantasy board, there's a running gag about farmer something the cabbage mage and i'm for it so yeah. yes and it's you know you, you have like the weirdos who come up with their like weird thing but then we're also at a point in our world's kind of like development and history that you'd probably have institutions of higher learning starting to experiment with this stuff like i definitely oh, sure. think so you know I mean, yes. and like they'd be like okay so we're going to um study the basket making technique of these people and see if adding the pigment magic technique of these people together does anything and hopefully in ethically sound ways but you know we're asshole light not asshole free so i'm sure i am sure they have some arguments about appropriation and things like that Mm -hmm. when it comes to the magical things but yeah like i could i could see that being a big thing at the universities and similar institutions in our world like Magical exchange programs specifically to do that kind of thing. Or having a department of that area over there's magical studies. Right. Yeah, the yeah. Magical yeah. anthropology kind of. Vis- visiting professors and yeah. Right. And like exchange of ideas yeah. and exchange of people. And I bet they're probably starting to get like journals. Like yeah. it's probably fairly early in this world because we, we have printing. We have some degree of exchange of that. And of course, you can't take those through the gates, but you can still distribute them. And, right. And yeah, and we, we certainly have plenty of, of non-gate distributions. So you have like treatises yeah. about, you know, our area's magical system, our area's magical system compared to that area's magical system. And... I would imagine also academia would like there would be like a whole sub industry of people with really good memory who are basically the living journal like they memorize the whole thing and they go through the gate and then they like they basically give a ted talk mm-hmm. oh that'd be a great job oh that'd be so much fun oh we're back to the nude rhetoric again that'd be great <laughs> rhetoric. don't i get a robe to give this talk no no no, it's, no. <laughs> not not here in griasta you don't sorry <laughs> we, we we don't know how long you know it is before you start to forget all the things you you memorize so you you better get out there chop chop god i'm just picturing like a gate that's had like a little amphitheater built around it so like <laughs> people so it know pops out and like the audience yes. is already assembled it's already there <laughs> We're ready. We we know that this mage is arriving at this hour on this day. So we've turned up. We've got our tickets. He just emerges and just has to start declaiming. Yeah. I'm just giggling because I'm just picturing it. I'm just... I love that we keep coming up with bizarre reasons for why once you've gone through the gate, why you, you would just stay naked. Stay naked. <laughs> I mean, not everywhere, obviously, but I can certainly see some parts of the world having these traditions. Not the Fjallanuri. It's too cold there. No. <laughs> there are places you just don't want frostbite. You don't. You super don't. Well, speaking of individual places, maybe we could spend some time poking at how how our individual corners of the world interact with the zhuzh. Which is going to be interesting because we have three gate-heavy parts of the world. Yes. Right. So that Which does not be... mean no magic, but... Right. And that does bring up a good question, like how? What's the radius of of zhuzh suction? <laughs> Do you, you have a better phrase for it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I don't know. Like it, I assume it. Like how far away do you need to get to to start zhuzhing it up? Is, yeah, like is, is there a, a total? Question. Is there a total dead zone like fifty feet around the gate, and then it sort of like 
it gets easier as you get further out, but like how far is far it might enough? Might depend away? on the like. So to understand this, you need to a do some calculus and then. No, no, no. <laughs> I was, was going to say, is is this an exponential change? Do we need it, to graph this? <laughs> those words aren't real. Don't believe there in is them. a logarithmic shift of. That's definitely not a real word. <laughs> sine, cosine. Follows the square cube. Tangent. I'm thinking in terms of like the building, the block, the city, the country. Like, what area is is significantly enough affected? Is there any area that is completely dead or, or yeah m- muted to the point that it might as well be? And yeah. how far away? And if you've got you know one central gate, does that make magic harder everywhere in your city? Everywhere. In a hundred mile radius, three hundred mile. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I see. I would think my instinct. And I, not that not that we need to get sp- that specific about sure. the mileage or whatever. But having a general sense of like it affects an entire city or not. Like, I, mm-hmm. my instinct, especially if we're talking about like hub places where there's going to be more than one gate, that's going to be a low magic area for anything that could be considered city, suburb nearby nearby farm like all of that is going to be low magic like you have to get all the way out for it to no longer be low magic and and obviously it's a gradient like, like you know it's, yeah yeah kind of slopes but outward i think any city that is that has a gate like the whole city is at least somewhat affected it's like magic that's, some that's light. the level that yeah. makes some interesting implications for like institutes of magical learning right are unlikely to be in a city with a gate and if the city with the gate is your country's like capital then that means your university is not at least one that right. studies magic is not going to be there such so as interesting it's just interesting interplay or, like, or you have like the concept of like your institutions of magical learning like you start in low magic areas so you don't screw anything up too much so like oh, you, pretty good. you get your undergrad in the city and then you go to grad <laughs> school like way the heck out there here is a real world example that the university of texas like the astronomy students they're in austin for their undergrad but the, you know, the good grad students get to go to the McDonald University, which is way out in West Texas, up on a mountain. Where, where you could like, actually you know, see stars. Right. Where you can actually see stars. And yeah, and like it might be the same thing where it's like, like, we'll start here where you're not likely to blow yourself up. Right. And you're, learn some You're, <laughs> learn you're some going to learn the basic skills, <laughs> the basic theory, the basic concepts, all of your kind of classroom, but your practicum where you're really going to specialize <laughs> And send then you. we'll go out to the mountains, to our retreat, to our airy, to whatever it is, to really learn the, to really learn the neat stuff. Or yes, you know what, you know what, Mitchell, I think if you went out there, you would blow up. So you're not, you don't get to go. We're um. we're not signing off on on this independent study for you. I'm sorry. Please go back to the philosophy department. We strongly recommend you stay in the cities your whole yes. life. <laughs> Please. Forever. Never journeying. Just don't. Just don't. But then you also will have those cultures that aren't even, you know, on the gate networks. And they're going to, they are going to have a very different sort of relationship with, with what magic is as far as part of their day-to-day life. So since our areas all have gates... But from what we just determined, when you get far enough away from the gates, and I think all of our areas you can get far enough away, you can do, like, the real stuff. Right? Even if it's not, like, the super yeah. duper off the deep end, but you can do the real stuff. Like, how how does that look in each of our areas? I guess, quick recap of what the magic in each of our areas kind of was. And then, like, what does that look I like? I don't remember. <laughs> if, no, I, I honestly, like, don't remember what it was that... Griasta had in terms I mean, of like its specific like time dirt time based. time has passed and you could time has decide. passed I could decide something else altogether you could and I think Cass had started to poke at some stuff but I don't know if it ever only a very very little some, yeah yeah um I had actually I had talked about magical pigments I think that was about as far as I got with any particular idea but that magical pigments were a thing 
for them. And I like that. I feel like... I think I had said something about them using magic for, like, heating. Like, a magical hypocausts and things like that. Which would actually make sense put together with the pigments. Like, you essentially paint your, your heating system into your house. And that would be a very permanent kind of magic. That would be a very stable kind of magic. Once you do it, it's there for a very long time. Um, probably would outlast any of our modern HVAC systems. Don't have to replace every 10 years. It's great. It stays much longer. But that makes sense to me for them, too, because I think they would not be a people attracted to ephemerality in their magic. <laughs> They've got the one gate in Uland, in the capital city. And I think I said they had, like, one or two more further upriver. So you're likely to get more magic as you move further away from the river, too, where you're also getting into more hostile territory. So that implies some really fun things for, like, what you have to do if you want to learn magic. And I bet they still have some, like, I bet they have some wild uplander traditions that, that are just, it's like going to some, you know, Scandinavian troll's hut. And you, <laughs> you have to do, like, your time hanging out in the forest and killing yaks and things like that in order to, <laughs> to earn your magic and, and learn how the things work. But I can also see them having in the areas that that are sort of between the gates that, that aren't super, super zhuzh heavy, but, you know, there's enough that they can work with it. Um, it's not it's not zhuzh barren the way that the right near the gates would be. Um, manuscript magic, like using the pigments for illuminated manuscripts and stuff. Because that takes time, that takes dedication. They would have to do a lot of channeling, I think, to do that. And that was how they would shape it. And I bet that has caused some friction. Excellent. Introducing conflict into my society with the print industry. And and does that, you know, does that even count? Can you can you can you magic up print? I don't know. As it's, I bet there's there's discussions about that, about like, yeah, like we'll we're in danger of losing our magical tradition of of embellishing manuscripts with, because of this this newfangled printing machine. Is the belief that like part of the magic is in the process of illumination and that I think so. just like going whoop with a with a printing press that's, yeah. like that's not gonna not do as good it. not as good <laughs> um no because i think it is i think it's about the time that you take it's and, about and tracing the, the paths and the, and, yeah the dedication to craft and and filling filling in the the knights on snails which i very much hope they have in in the fialaniri manuscripts <laughs> i love the snails in medieval manuscripts but like, and, and even just like the shapes of the letters having meaning. So, and, so they're and... writing Griasta stories is what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> well, because there's also the penis trees in medieval manuscripts. So. This is what happens. Again, they go and visit they're Griasta. They're writing the Griasta stories. The, the, hundreds of years ago, the Fialaniri monks went and visited Griasta <laughs> and came back and were like, there's no way I can describe this. I will simply, I will simply etch it into being. So yeah, I think, I think lots of ink and, and pigment and, and things like that. Is, is the method and that they are people who see it as as a as a craft as something that takes a lot of time but it lasts longer too like their stuff probably lasts a good long while i like that that makes sense for everything we know about that people too yeah yeah i mean they're a harsher climate they have to build things that are going to last they, they can't let things be just Feep. i'll just say and if you're going to be a mage like you you have to justify that like you're not doing something else you're not doing something else that's going to benefit the society. You're not making food. You're not doing, you know, whatever. So if you're going to be a mage, you have to be doing something that is worth it, not just to yourself, but to the community to allow you to spend that time off with, with Sven in his, his yak hut <laughs> learning magic. <laughs> I must think about this more. There's like, there's levels. There's levels. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to write this down. <laughs> so on the flip side of that, I think the Grassons are very much into the ephemeral nature of magic and, and, play on that and so i think like both song and dance magic are both key elements that i i think they integrate both but i think also for them magic is a manifestation of art like you do it to make something pretty that isn't that will appear and then like yep that appeared that was pretty and you know like that's like that's what they see as as its biggest use is is as art but i also think that there's something about community or at least acting together so i think they have a lot of things 
like it's song and dance but at the same time like to do it right you need you need five voices in harmony and you need you need the choreography to be each person doing something different that works in concert with each other you need you know they probably also have sex magic too but we won't deal we won't tell too much into that but like <laughs> you have you have to do exactly the right movements and you know the Fjallanir will be happy to illuminate your sex magic Kama Sutra for you. With, but I believe they I believe they would have a sex magic Kama Sutra. I believe that that is, you know, I mean. Makes sense. Just... Like this position gets it to rain. This position yeah. makes the fish levitate. Um, Don't do this one or someone's going to turn into a chicken. Don't do this near the snails. It really makes them angry. But, but I see them like. For them, the ultimate expression is is doing something that creates something beautiful and is done in harmony as community. So, like, I could see them doing, like, a big performance slash orgy. But where it's like you have, like, 20 people all singing in harmony and also doing the right choreography to create this, like, beautiful aurora borealis rainbow effect that lasts for a moment and i was gonna ask is it like illusion magic can it create yeah that would give rise some really interesting art forms where like yeah there's there's two there's two levels of art going on the art of the actual bodies and song and then the art they're creating with the magic in doing so yeah and i think i think they see magic as art because for them it has that same ephemeral quality of a performance that you you know happens when it happens and then you just remember it i like it so i think thinking way back um i had said that the all not leery magic had something to do with like the space between things that they could make like if you think of like the murmuration of birds that they could like do things by bringing things closer together and pulling things further apart and this is largely useless um except for things like fishing they can bring schools of fish closer together if you're harvesting things yeah they can levitate them but they can bring them closer together and if you're harvesting things you can like you know make all the you know fruits fall in one space or um, you've got your birds, you can bring your birds closer together or whatever. Bailing hay, really Bailing easy. Bailing hay, much Just easier. The hay so... bails itself. <laughs> <laughs> That's their slogan. The hay bails itself. But, and so you've got like, because one of the islands is going to be pretty gate bound. But I think we had talked about one point that there's some island that no one goes to. And it's partially because there was a tsunami at some point that like washed over this thing. It's like the ghost island now. But I think that's also my wild magic island. Because if the magic is dealing with the space between stuff, then just weird shit happens there. Like things just move around and like time passes in weird ways. Like you're like, it's noon, but I just got up. And what's because the space between things is expanding and contracting and like strange unpredictable weird ways so like the the magic in in the the wild zhuzh island is is sort of untrammeled and and not useful to people and so they just avoid it for the most part because they can't do anything with it except get confused maybe it's where you take people after bachelor parties that go really bad you just like drop them off on that island i like it and I was considering, too, that if it's going to be deal with the space between things in, like, I don't know, 500 years, they could theoretically discover this world's version of the nuclear bomb. But hopefully they don't. <laughs> they just make all the space between the atoms just come together all at once. And it's a bad day for everyone. It's a real bad day. A real bad day. I just had a wild idea since I had, we've established that the Grey Astons have their, their orthodox semi-asshole cousins i i just had this wild idea of what they do magically and because basically they want to be left alone so all of their they utilize magic basically as a way of like keep people out so i just had this vision that they have something that's similar to like tibetan throat singing and that's like how they manifest the magic but what it's they're doing is basically like putting a shield around the city with 
basically people have to be constantly like there's people who like your shift of being on the wall and throat singing to maintain the waltz to maintain the the, the it's your ululating shift you have to yes I have a question. Is it is it around the entire area or is it only on the side facing Griasta? Like we're okay if those people come over, but That's a good question. We can we can lock down the whole thing in case of an invasion or a war, but we maintain the Griasta shield at all times. But I just, I, I, I sort of love the idea that there's just always this the like low bass sound <laughs> happening as part of how their magic is because is. it then keeps the, the 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 somber atmosphere of this place you know going on too I like and it. i just i just think it's that neat. works so i feel like at some point in future we can probably do more of a deep dive on magic and magical training and magical practitioners and all of that kind of stuff for our corners of the world as a future deep dive episode but since we brought it up at the beginning of the episode and i'm just curious and we can cut this part if if it turns out that we haven't do we have a name for magic in each of our corners of the world i don't okay i'm gonna rant a little bit the other day i saw this tiktok where this guy's like does this thing of like what fantasy writers do in terms of like calling things magic and he just did this things like not many people have learned the ways of magic and just like kept doing these things of like changing the word magic just slightly like nine thousand different ways and then like i saw somebody stitch it and be like this is so true so many fancy books i'm like is it is it is really, it really like <laughs> like or is it like you know there's this whole thing of like what people pretend fantasy books are are like and then what they're actually like and this is more in the what people pretend is like because i've never i have never read a book where somebody like took the word magic and modified it you know one syllable to then futz with it and be like this is how it's my magic f- is different <laughs> it's not a fantasy writer thing it's a neo-pagan thing and i cast shade at my own people for this like it doesn't need to end in a fucking k there's no fucking reason why in english in modern english you need to stick extra consonants in there you don't have to no or one's switch making vowels you. to wise i was like or it put, doesn't or put, make it special or putting e's on the end of things it's yes. like put, it, put, an, put an e on it just like you don't have put to. An it, e it makes on it. it festive. It makes it festive. <laughs> Magic. M A G Y C K. No, get out. Get out right, get right out of here with that. But no, it's not a thing. Go to your room do. and think about what you've done. What you did. It's a thing Llewellyn Press does, not fantasy writers. They're getting that's where they're getting confused. Now, a yeah. problem I have run into is if you have a magical system that has measurement, like what the fuck do you call the unit of measurement for magic? Like. I have raised this many X quantity of magic, if, if, if you're being that granular about it, because I am in my current, like my current project. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that gets hard because it's hard to come up with something that doesn't sound dumb. <laughs> I have a placeholder right now, but I don't like it. So it's, I've, I've, and I stole you, it from Terry Pratchett. So, <laughs> What you do is you, ha- you name the person who discovered it. Yes. I tried that. I actually did Just try like that Watson in one draft. Are named after people. I tried I that mean, in one draft and it was not working magic. for me. It was Dre's. <laughs> it was Dre's. And I was like, this doesn't, it wasn't working for me. I don't know. So for now, the placeholder is Thaum's in- T-H-A-U-M, which I stole from Terry Pratchett. And it'll be that until it's something else. In Meridane, it, it, the, the magical energy is Numina. And then the unit of measurement is a Baron, which... I do get metric with it because Giarna is just that extra. Because why not? Yeah. Um, because that's the kind of person that Giarna is. is that she's going to measure something in millibarons. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, to an extent, like, you want to use a different term or a specific term to show how your people think about it. But, like, it doesn't have to be this, like, I've taken the word, the word magic and I've I shoved that square peg into a round hole and this is what it looks like on the other side like right because i i would i would probably suggest that you know if if you know as we develop this stuff and whatever that some of these terms would be again how these people think about their magic that if you have a magical system that is based on 
saying things or singing things that the word for casting right. magic would be related to, like, mm-hmm. you know, casting That's true. versus inscribing versus, yeah. you know, invoking enacting, versus... invoking, you know, yeah. you have these different words and yeah. different terminologies that people would use for it. And even what they might call magic itself, like if it's, if it was purely music based, they might call it something different than if it's purely physically based. Um, just because of how they would comprehend and, and understand what the magic is. Not that we have to come to any decisions at this point. However, it's good food for thought. It's food for thought that 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 the 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 juge is many and the juge encompasses much. Yeah, when you said music based and all that, then then the word symphony popped to my mind, but also conducting is a word. Mm, that that's a good one. That's meaning. a good one. Accord and discord. Ooh, yeah. Well, I think we have explored with some depth, but still leaving more questions to be explored at a later <laughs> time. The zhuzh and its many faces and enactments and um, ways of being understood in our world. So, nice And I work. think we've, we've created also enough that if somebody we're writing in this world and playing around with it that they would it, they would have the freedom to come up with a specific thing that doesn't contradict the main concept exactly if if there was a person who was if doing that would ever thing, to happen yes if that were to ever happen but we're probably not going to talk about that today Hi you! Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists, and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode goes up on May 10th, where we'll be joined by Hannah Porter to talk about food culture in world building. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, including Rowena's latest, The Fairy Bargains of Prospect Hill, Cass's Avon Cycle, and everything in my Meridane saga, links to all of that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochist.podbeam.com We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as at worldbuildcast, and our email is worldbuildcast at gmail.com We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come and chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.